ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Iteration. <laughs> I, and I will say, like, if you're like, if you take the album of cover of If You're Feeling Sinister and you flip it over, does it say, Don't listen to Bell and Sebastian? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> because there's a lot of words I would use to associate with the, the Bell and Sebastian sound, and sinister, sinister is not is one. Not. I also thought the album cover of Tiger Milk would have been too much for young Tim to process with the woman breastfeeding the tiger. I thought, I thought yeah. that would have been a little salacious for well, you. Well, there was something wholesome about it as well. Oh, okay. Did you, if you, I don't know if you've checked out Tools in Nima yet, but when you get to the song Hooker with a Penis, call me and I'll walk you through it. <laughs> 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. How you doing? Good, my friend. How are you? Good, Jeff. In Berkeley, uh, under siege, uh, under there siege. in Ross, California. Yeah, man. School. The the uh, I just got the hilarious text that uh, COVID in the last twelve hours in my county went from eh to ah. We got. I was in a meeting where they were canceling stuff in real time. Like we were looking at the guidelines from the county, and it would say like. You can't have more than 100 people. And it would go 75 people, 49. It was like watching the stock market crash. And so, yeah, my I have had myself a day. I need this podcast like a dying man needs water. We are here for you. This is 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys on the drive in podcast network. Uh, And we have a special guest tonight and uh, not yet. 50 year old white guy, right, Jeff? How old oh, are no, you? no, no. I am a 51 year old white guy. Oh, you are a 51 year old. Okay, you're right there with us. Yeah, I qualify. Bad <laughs> research, research letting us down from the jump. Oh, I know. Yeah, right. That's rough. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jeff Brodke, screenwriter, children's author, novelist. Um, the latest novel is Lights Out in Lincolnwood, which I believe is a blow by blow account of Jeff Simons' last 24 hours in oh, Marin my God. County. Is it great? Is it not? It's similar. It's similar. It's a uh, it's a dark comedy about the apocalypse in the New Jersey suburbs. Done so if, you, if done. you're the kind of person who, and by the way, like 50 year old white guys, pretty much the target audience. That's oh, what I'm talking sure. about. Is Sounds it, like Harold and Kumar three. I can't wait. <laughs> it's, <Yeah. laughs> 
If you squint really hard, it could be a Harold and Kumar sequel. Is it it the end of the world or is it just a really bad day? I think that's that's what we face, right, Jeff? Yeah, that's the tagline. Um, And it's it uh, it, it basically, not to spoil anything, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with an electromagnetic pulse, uh, which would, you know, fry anything that has a circuit board um, Uh, and leave everything else intact. Yeah. Exactly. It was a yeah. plot device on 24 yeah. and about like 17 other like really <laughs> bad action thrillers. Uh, um, and the Matrix. It's in the Matrix. You're right. It is. Yeah. Yes. Like one of the sequels, right? Like the second or third one. I well, think I think so. it's in the first one too. It's is like it's... when they're in when they're in the future, they have to use the electromagnetic pulse to, to stop the machines from eating them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. They get like yeah. 10 seconds, right? All the little like all the Tentacles. little octopus critters go like <laughs> for a second. That's right. So this bears no other resemblance to the Matrix in this <laughs> novel, uh, other, other than the plot device. And yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's, um, it, it's the kind of situation where, uh, you, you know, society will eventually be plunged back into a dark age, but in the first couple of days, you can't really tell if it's the end of the world or just a, a just a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's sort of, an, you know, it's, it, it's a very wealthy suburb and it, it, the, the existential question is sort of like, at what point do you stop worrying about your kid's early decision application to Dartmouth and start worrying about finding clean drinking water? My God, that's so great. Let's I, go. can't, I cannot Let's tell go. you how many times in this pandemic moment, I've looked in my backyard and been like, I should really have some tomatoes or something going there. Like, you know, once I can't break into the Safeway, like in that big bird box movie, I'm not going to be able to eat, you know? Like, so that's, that is so great. Well, Jeff, Jeff Rodkey, how are you doing? You're in New York city. Yes. And how are you handling this latest uh, pandemic bump? Well, I'm pretty sure I have COVID. Uh, but, okay. the, uh, but but the, the the rapid test this morning did not indicate such. Um, oh, my! Uh, there's there's currently there's 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 currently four of us in the apartment uh, in a four room apartment. Uh, my 19 year old is quarantining with COVID in, in uh, the far bedroom. Okay. Uh, his 21 year old brother went back to college uh, rather than continue to stay in that bedroom with him. The 16 year old <laughs> and my wife. Uh, both have a runny nose and they, and they think maybe it's, it's a, just a, a coincidence and it's a cold. Uh, and, and I had a runny nose that is now turning into like a, that kind of body achy thing where I'm like, yeah, something's definitely wrong. Oh, oh shoot. man. I'm so, so sorry. But we're all vaccinated and boosted and we're fine. Like the, like the 19 year old, he's fine. He's been playing Xbox like 16 hours a day. He's fine. <laughs> no, okay. I, I have some students who are quarantining and you can tell they're like, it's a tough road. Jeff, let me tell you. <laughs> So we're going to actually listen to somebody deal with COVID in real time for an hour. It's really. I, I keep getting texts from him. It's like, can I have some more iced coffee? <laughs> it's, he's living That's the life. Great. Ought to be 19 again. Well, in 1996, we were all about, what, in our mid-20s. And we were listening, the four of us, to one album pretty religiously. The Grammy winner, Jeff Simon's. I can't get enough of this artist. Let's go. It's the Grammy winner. Falling Into You by Celine Dion. When I was a little girl, I had a rat dog. Only dog I've ever owned. Oh, wait, no, wait. That's not Tina Turner. Wait a minute. 
Wow. Uh, so Ben, raise your hand if you know who it is. No idea, but it would make me super happy. <laughs> it's not awesome. it it's like, so good. It's like a cereal commercial does <laughs> Tina Turner. That's so awful. <laughs> I keep waiting for a voice to be like, Lucky Charms, now with Blue Moons. Yeah. That's Celine Dion, my fine friend. Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice Dion. call. That makes well, sense right there. Right? She what, brings all the same passion. You know, she's had a life similar to Tina's. You know, yeah. she, she's experienced <laughs> all of those things. So I can understand it. Unbelievable. Yeah, Jeff Simons, what's the big hit of that album? Dude, I have no idea. I picked that because I knew it would be wonderfully horrible. But there's a cover of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman on here. Oh, there's yeah. A, there's a cover of All By Myself. I can't imagine how syrupy that is. Oh, oh that bring that. Go ahead and that do that. Been. Let's do that. <laughs> that All right, let's get a, a little hit. of that. And you, by the way, shoot, just start at minute 108. Like, don't start at the beginning. Yeah, here we go. Boom. I don't want right. to hear that drum beat again. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> oh, so oh yeah how how are the grammy voters picking that i this is pre-titanic right what yeah it is it's pre-titanic no way that yes right. it's pre-titanic titanic, titanic is like seven i think yep wow that's awesome that's the guitar dog. work on there was so good oh i know isn't that great it really did. It really sounded like it sounded like the kind of guitar sound you get when you like push like guitar on a keyboard. First Wham. of all, the studio guy was like, wait, is this is just like you said, is this a serial ad? Nope. <laughs> it's a Celine Dion album. He was like, is the money green? They're like, yep. He was like, all good. That's fine. Isn't right. this Mutt Lang's big Celine Dion record, though? Isn't this like no way? Yeah, I think that it didn't Mutt Lang marry her and turn her into the What's the name of this yes. record? I Falling believe in, he did. Falling Into You, which I was joking with Tim earlier, sounds much more salacious than this record actually is. But but uh, I only bring up the Mutt Lang connection because I know our guest and I have a mutual adoration for Def Leppard's photograph, which is also a Mutt Lang track. Oh, so. is it? As yeah. was, wasn't uh, ACDC's Back in Black? Yes, it oh, was. Yeah, Oh, dude, he's got like a dozen good records. Yeah, this one why. is not one of them. Sad to report. But this, wait a minute. I'm sorry. The same producer did Back in Black and this. Yes. Oh yeah. Wait. How? In fact, I'm pretty sure that's Angus Young playing guitar, and all by myself, <laughs> calling in a favor. Well, the weird thing was he he was previously married to Brian Johnson. <laughs> uh, right. That's good. That's good. Fitting right in. Well, I'll tell you. In 1996. A concert festival was held in Phoenix, Arizona, after this singer was rejected by Lollapalooza. What is the concert festival that began in 96 in Phoenix, Arizona? Oh, oh, it looks like Help it, us looks, out, it looks like I am the metal expert in the room. Thank you very much. It is OzFest. That begins no in 1996, which is the segue we need to explain why Jeff Rodkey is here. By the way, by the way, Ozzy could not have answered that question correctly. <laughs> oh yeah, zero percent chance. He's just he just does what Sharon tells him to do. No question. Well, that's what I read. That Sharon went to Lollapalooza and said Ozzy would like to be a part of Lollapalooza, and they said no. So that's how Ozfest was born. 
but I that? heard uh, Jeff Rodkey, you were on Brian Koppelman's podcast, The Moment. And at the very end, and I, I loved your story. I, I loved hearing about your, uh, you know, the trajectory of your career and the different- My history of writing mediocre family films. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but that's really interesting stuff. You know what I loved? I loved going on your website and seeing that you went up to Dartmouth and did a fake Dartmouth newspaper. Uh, ben and Jeff Simons, you'll love this. It was, uh, the what's the name of the Dartmouth paper? Is it the Review? It, it was the Dartmouth Review, which was yeah. a right. very right-wing uh, sure. campus newspaper. And the, the year we did that, that was the spring of 1992. And in the fall of 91, there had been this weird scandal where uh, I think on more than one occasion, like someone had inserted quotes from Mein Kampf in the Dartmouth Review masthead right. on the newspaper that actually was published. Right. And the hilarious thing about it was nobody could really figure out if it was somebody who was trying to, 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 to screw with them because they hated the Dartmouth Review or it was somebody on the staff who really just legitimately felt that they it needed more yeah. Mein Kampf. <laughs> and like so we, we we were you know i was i was in my campus humor magazine and we wanted to do a parody of it and um and i went to the i went to the library at the at, at college and and was just like going through like book after book on the third reich trying to figure out like like what would be what would be the cover and i found this this weird like really obscure book of photographs and i was flipping through it and and it, and, I, and i came across this series of three photos of Adolf Hitler wearing like knee shorts and like, and, and, and really high socks. So he's wearing like, he's, you know, the, the, there's maybe two inches between the top of the socks and the bottom of the shorts and, you know, and a brown shirt and the little, you know, the Nazi thing. And he's in a Bavarian forest and he's just sort of posing like, you know, in, in a very kind of almost vampy kind of way. As and I just looked at it. when you're Hitler. I mean, it was, yeah. it, I mean, it was fantastic. It was probably from like the 19, you know, like 1930. It was like yeah. when Hitler was on the way up and was still doing modeling or something. Yeah, right. And I just, I looked at it and I literally like immediately what popped into my head was it's the spring fashion issue. Uh, awesome. <laughs> and so, and so this, the cover of the Dartmouth Review parody had these three pictures of Hitler and the, and the headline was spring fashion issue. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Which is brilliant. Love it. By the way, that's a very weird checkout. Like when you go up to the counter with your eight books on the Third Reich. Like, did did you did, did the was the librarian like uh, like giving you the side eye? Like, this is a very strange collection of books you've asked to look at, sir. So. No, because I only took that one out because I oh, didn't okay. need the rest of them. I, I was literally I was going through them in got, the stats. I got what and I, I was like, I got we got a winner. We don't need. <laughs> We I don't like need that. anything else. I like that as a practical joke. Though. I'm going to go to the Berkeley Public Library and just bring up 27 books on the third right. And just like, I just need these. <laughs> See what happens. Um. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But anyways, at the end of the podcast, all of a sudden you and Brian Koppelman get into this argument about Black Sabbath. Yes, it was the resumption of a longstanding argument that Brian and I have had over the years. And so then I reached out to you and said, would you like to come on our podcast and just Give your side. You don't have to necessarily articulate Brian's side. 
he's not here to defend himself. Um, but what is the crux of the issue and where do you land with Black Sabbath? Uh, okay, this is, it's, this is the weirdest damn thing because I had what I did not even think was, a, it, it barely qualifies as an opinion because it's just, it's just universally accepted, which is that the, the best version of Black Sabbath was the original, you know, four members, uh, you know, Ozzy, Tony Iommi, uh, Geezer Butler and Bill Ward that, you know, started in what, like 69 and they kicked Ozzy out in, I think about 1980. And then, um, and then they, and then Bill Ward also left. And, uh, and by the way, like if I were, if I were Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, I probably would have kicked those guys out of the band too, because they were, both of them were just a, a mess at that point in their lives. Like I, I once read an, an, an oral history of Black Sabbath and almost every entry from Bill Ward was him going, I don't really remember a lot about this oh. period. Oh God. <laughs> it's just it's an 11 year period. Yeah. yeah, It was just <laughs> terrible. It was just, you know, just a mess. But anyway, but so they kicked Ozzy out and then they got, um, <clears throat> I'm going to mispronounce his name. The drummer Vinny, is it Apache or a piece? I always thought it was a piece, but maybe it's not. It might yeah. be a piece. It might, it might be because I've never known how to pronounce it correctly, but he's the younger brother of Carmine Apiece, who's also was a, the drummer in Vanilla Fudge and for a bunch of other bands. But they got Vinny Apiece and, and Ronnie James Dio, who at that point had been in uh, Rainbow. And, um, and, they, and they did a two album run as, 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 as the new version of Black Sabbath. And, and they came out with two albums. It was Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, which... Heaven and Hell has like, you know, I would, I would argue like one, maybe two good songs. Mob Rules just has one good song. And the rest of them are like, they, they just sound like all the other kind of like, like the thing about early Black Sabbath was they were almost like a jam band. They huh. had like, they had kind of weird song structures and Bill Ward had like a ton of like, kind of like swing and they, and they just kind of, like, and they were incredibly heavy, like Lester Bangs, I think once said um, that, and by the way, who hated Black Sabbath, uh, the, the music critic Lester Bangs said, uh, the Black Sabbath is, is, it's the first music that's, that's meant to bypass the ears and be felt primarily in the chest cavity, um, <laughs> because it's just like so low and heavy. And, and, and part of that heaviness is like Tony Iommi, uh, it was, was about to go on tour with his original band, which was like called the Cadillacs or something. Um, and, and, and the day before he went on tour, he was working at a box factory and he, he cut off the tips of two of the fingers in his cording hand ah. and had to completely like, had to figure out first, he was like, I'll just turn the guitar around and I'll relearn how to play it, you know, left-handed. And he very quickly was like, oh my God, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> so he had to figure out like how to, how to sort of play the guitar missing the tips of his, of his fingers. Ah, and one of the, God, and it was if, like, if you read his biography, by the way, is it obvious? I'm like way too into this topic. <laughs> um, if you read his biography, his biography he talks about, like he goes on for pages about all the shit he tried to attach to the end of his, of his fingertips to make it not excruciatingly painful to play the guitar. Right. And one, one of the things he eventually realized was he had to like get rid of the lowest or the highest string because it was the most painful to play with, with, with a bust, you know, with a half a finger and, and, and just move all the strings up and use a much, much heavier gauge for the top string. So it's just like Black Sabbath, like the original Black Sabbath has this really like heavy sludgy sound, but that's also got kind of a swing to it. Well, and that, and that me... was the original Black Sabbath. And then by the time you get to Mob Rules and, and Heaven and Hell, 
for some reason, Tony Iommi lost that sound and now just sounds like every other metal guitarist on the Sunset Strip. And yep. their song structures are really boring. And the point that I'm finally trying to make 15 minutes later is Koppelman somehow thinks <laughs> that, that, that Mob Rules in Heaven and Hell are the best Black Sabbath albums. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's, let me be fair. I think that if you were to properly state his objection, first, he agrees that Paranoid is the best, right? For public consumption, he agrees that, par that Paranoid is but the best. But he doesn't I mean, like I just that info. He privately, I'm just he will saying, maintain that Mob Rules in Heaven and Hell are I'm just the saying, if you wanted to give the best version of his argument, the first thing you would, you would do is you would agree that Paranoid is the best, because that's like agreeing that the sun is yellow. I mean, like, Paranoid's the best. Then, he, you are correct. You are correct. He says that the second and third best Black Sabbath albums are these awful, unlistenable, <laughs> dog shit Roddy James Dio records. And, By the way, I love Roddy James Dio. The first time I ever smelled I don't, weed I don't was care a Roddy for James him at Dio all. concert I in 1984. <laughs> I do not care for him at all. Uh, and then, but then he also says that Blizzard of Oz is the single best work of art by including Ozzy Osbourne, including Paranoid, which is also an insane take. Wait, Jeff Simons, I need a Black Sabbath song. I got nothing here. This is, you, you might as well nothing? be speaking you're, you're adorable. French. Give me one Black Sabbath song to, to let me hear I'll that I'll tell you one thing, one thing we're not doing is speaking French when we're talking about Black Sabbath, but here we go. You'll recognize this perhaps, buddy. All that sludgy, swingy, low end that Jeff was talking about. This song. There's no, no way hurt. Tim recognizes that. Yeah, yeah was I supposed to have heard of that? Do, do play, Iron play Paranoid, which was briefly a Molson ad. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, that's great. Thank you. That was good. And Iron You're Man. Welcome. No, that one. Good. Yeah, you'll also recognize, I, I was watching a college football game like last week and, and the band was playing Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. sweet. Wow. That was wild stuff. Well, okay, give me an example of a, a is it Dio? You yeah, and there's no way you're gonna recognize this, Timmy. Zero percent chance. I'll give him. So, I'll so give it's him not. Holy it's not Rio. Just to be clear. Oh wait, but you're not gonna give him. No, give him one of the deal Black Sabbath. Well, give him Holy Diver. Well, no, no, might... no, give him a Black Sabbath song. What's okay, the? I'll... I actually looked this up on the internet and I had a hard time finding a definitive answer. What is the best Ronnie James Dio Black yeah. Sabbath? Song? Is it Heaven and Hell? Probably Heaven and Hell. Maybe that song rules. sucks. In case you're wondering, that song sucks. Here it comes. Wow. Not in any hurry, I'll tell you that. Woo! Sing me a song, you're a singer. Do me a wrong, you're a bringer of evil. The devil is near, 
Now, if he got, if he said, "Sing me a song," you're the piano man. I would have been really, really happy. <laughs> really, whatever. That would really. Now, actually, somebody should mash that shit together. That would be so great. Uh, well, Jeff um, Rodkey, this is very generous of you to Black Sabbath. I can tell you why these records suck and why they sound bad and why the guitar parts are bad. It's the same reason why the firm records are bad. You're like, wait, why is Jimmy Page sound so lame and sad now? Why does he not write amazing riffs anymore? And the answer is because they dug him out of a drug-induced haze. They propped him up and the producers were like, we can make some green stuff with this. Just work with us on this. Well, I will say Satisfaction Guaranteed is a fantastic song. I like Radioactive. Radioactive is the weirdest two and a half minute single of all time. That guitar solo and Radioactive, I'm not even sure Paige put his fingers in the right place and they were like, that's great, that's great, that's great. Next song. It's so bizarre. But uh, But I mean, that's my take on the Dio um, Sabbath thing is they just, they just you know take up took them out of the tomb and we're like let's do our best here i think there's a whole sub there's a whole sub genre here of the first the first acts to break as hard rock acts did not know what to do in the second wave like when def leppard and king diamond and all of that british metal broke in 77 and 78 these original bands didn't know what the hell to do because aerosmith makes their worst music from 79 to 82 so does black sabbath that genre and, and led zeppelin would have if they had, I mean, the Carousel Rambra is not, in 1979, is not like, yeah, oh, here problem. we go. We're going in, the, <laughs> this band's in a bold new direction. Like, that first generation had a panic attack. And then, the, and then though, you know, Aerosmith found itself again as a pop act. I, I just think it's that. Like, if you spend, if you spend 10 years playing at 10,000 decibels, and then a whole new, leaner, meaner, younger, less fat version of yourself shows up doing it faster and better, like, when Kill 'Em All came out, like the Black Sabbath guys must have been like, "How on earth are we supposed to compete with this craziness?" I, that's my take on who's it. Who's Kill 'Em All? The Metallica first record is '81. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I like, also, I yeah, also think there's a half life to to creative to to just the creative productivity in in this, especially in this genre of music. Amen. Where it's like they seem to like everybody just has their best work in their twenties. And then, it, you know, I, I, I struggle to think of like any hard rock or, you know, or metal act that, you know, that had some kind of a renaissance. And, you know, after 10 years, we're like, oh, my God, we're really hitting our stride now. You know, it just huh. it just feels like it's 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 like a young person's game. Is it is it the same way with punk? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, yeah, probably. I'm it's, trying to I mean, think the, the problem, the thing with punk is it's so sort of basic and reductive that you can like I, I i went through a phase I, I watched a descendants documentary a while ago and and they still they're actually still occasionally producing new music and it sounds great and it sounds identical to the stuff that they, it's almost like acdc they're just oh they're, totally that's the perfect description like they right. sound I, I saw the descendants a couple of years ago and like me too yeah no, yeah they're all gray just, and and like they've all aged and then the the downbeat they sound really remarkably similar to when i saw them in 1985 you know it's actually kind of hilarious so well how what is uh, all right ready jeff rodkey let's pick your brain oh sure what? by the way i just finished over the over the christmas week uh the 800 page bob spitz led zeppelin biography 
So don't get me started because if you thought that Black Sabbath run that I went on was long, I, I can literally, it's all fresh in my head. I, I can go on for ages about Zeppelin right now. Awesome. Well, I'm, hey, I'm, you'd already read Hammer of the Gods or no? Oh, sure. Like in high school, I read so Hammer So which do you prefer? Because I've read Hammer of the Gods, but not the new one. Oh, the Bob Spitz book is much. It's much, great. Well, it's, it's a great book. It gets depressing. It gets depressing and reductive because like John Bonham was just a horrible, mean, awful drunk and yeah. was drunk all the time. <laughs> yeah. And and Jimmy Page is a is a creep and got really weird and totally strung out on heroin. And when you were talking about Carousel Ambra, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Jeff. Like In Through the Outdoor was actually a John Paul Jones solo album. Oh yeah, pretty much. Like, because yeah. he's the only one who's functioning, yeah. But I, I thought, I thought Spitz did a pretty damn good job talking about the music itself in ways that Stephen Davis doesn't even try to. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a much, it's a really superior book. Did you read the Bob Spitz Beatles book? No, I didn't. Yeah, that was fantastic too. Um, although I, I got to say, it was, it was such a big book. There was some point at which I was like, oh my god, I'm on page four hundred, and they're still. I remember. Bomber. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I bought Can't Buy Me Love instead because I was like, this this book is just, it's eating my will to live and I'm on page 80. You know, like a, you read 300 pages and they're like, there's still like the quarryman. I'm like, you gotta speak this up, brother. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's move on. We've got so much to do. We've got the, uh, the number one selling album of 96. Jeff Simon, should we, should we just skip it? Do we need to hear it again? I'll do 10 seconds of the of the song we like most from it. It's the number one album. Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. 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 And those men turn 98. Oh, boy. I can't All take right. it beyond that. He's it's dead. so sad. He's dead. He's Jeff, dead. That was so, I, it is true. You gave us the best song last year, but I mean, that was hilariously unkind. And you gave a, a really mean clip of a bad song too. The first so, 20 seconds. What do you want from me? So That's she, how uh, it starts. That's the first unironic irony she leads <laughs> off with. That's on her, man. That's uh jagged little pill. Alanis Morissette, she wins the Grammy and then she takes that success and is the best selling album. Not of all time, of all time, uh, released in 96. It's Celine Dion's album. Good God. Well, by the uh, way, I looked it up and that is not produced by Mutt Lang. Oh, okay. okay. okay Roy Bitten produced some of that record, which oh, is a the, tough get for really? our boy. The E yeah. Street keyboardist? That's rough. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Wait, although he might be did... like, no, no, wait, there's another Roy Bitten. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Mutt Lang did eventually. <laughs> oh, he produced like produce... half of her albums yeah, for sure, okay. but not this one. He yeah. did the country one, didn't he? That like feel like a wolf, and that's Shania Twain. That's Shania, that's Shania Twain. Twain. Oh, that's it. That's is that what it happening. is? That that's what I've screwed up. That Shania Twain is in fact Celine yep. Dion in this uh, exercise. <laughs> that speaks much better for Mutt Lang. So. 96, Michael Jackson files for divorce. Sad event. I never Summer, saw that. Wait, party. does he file for divorce from the like the, the dentist's assistant or from Lisa <laughs> Marie Presley? Because was, <laughs> wasn't he married to Debbie Rowe briefly? Or did yeah. She, yeah. It was from yeah. Lisa, Lisa Marie for... Presley. 
uh, in 96. After that wonderful kiss at the MTV yeah. Video Music Awards. Remember that? That, that was hard to watch. That was hard to watch. Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Wait, uh, wait, I have, I, I have to, I have to include this anecdote. Okay. Um, I, the, one of the, one of the most entertaining books I've ever read is Corey Feldman's choreography. Oh. <laughs> and, and there's, honest to God, I, I'm not kidding, but there's a moment in choreography where Corey is like, you know, he's like, he's, he's emancipated from his parents. He's strung out on drugs. He's just, everything's a disaster. And he's like, I, I, I just, I needed help. I called the most stable, grounded person I knew, Michael Jackson. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and that's and amazing. he literally, for whatever reason, like, at least the way he portrays it in this book, Michael Jackson was a steadying influence on Corey oh. Feldman and apparently never tried to get in his pants and, and just, you know, would like, like, you know, offered him advice and like walked around with him and just tried to like kind of just settle him a little bit. It's fascinating. <laughs> Choreography. Find it at your bookstores. When you're done with a Led Zeppelin biography. That's yeah, exactly. Right. That is a fantastic name for your autobiography, though. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. You have uh, Robert Dole versus Bill Clinton. You've got the Walt Disney Corporation buying ABC. Uh, Jeff Simons, do you think Good Morning America suffered after that purchase? Uh, what was the name of the guy? Was it Phil Hartman who hosted Good Morning America when we were young? No, no. Oh, Phil, Phil Hartman from yes Saturday Night Live. Oh, but what's the guy's name? Hart, Bob Hartman, like the guy who had like the like the terrible comb oh, over you're, haircut. You're onto something, yeah. I am, man. I just like when I think of Good Morning America, I think of that guy who was like surprised by everything. Like, <laughs> Good Morning America presented information as if no one had ever, and it was always it was like America's crazy about this thing called hamburgers. Whoever knew? And like he was like nothing. Yeah. Everything was yeah, the first time honest. anyone I'll, had I'll ever heard of that it. Up. I'll that, look that up. That's always made me laugh about morning shows. Like, have you guys heard about this thing called oxygen? It's amazing. Like, it just cracks me up. But so. also, I mean, like you guys will recognize this. I, we were a Today Show family. Oh, so right? good, the Good Morning America people, we were like, these people, like, do they have a brain injury? Like, <laughs> they, that product is so deficient in comparison to the Today Show. I mean, that woman is no Jane Pauley. That's right. right. Um, all right. The Unabomber is arrested in 1996, which, uh, Jeff Rodkey, you don't know that we, we sometimes have a category called the Invitation to Cynicism. Uh, and, and I, I read about the Unabomber and I'm like, you know what, who is the worst graduate of Harvard university ever? Cause Ted Kaczynski would be up there. <laughs> that was fast. But you have Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg didn't graduate. <laughs> or, or one who attended, <laughs> um, Jeff Simons, Steve Ballmer, not a, not a good guy there. The Clippers owner, um, Jared Kushner, not a great guy. Um, but then I was like, no, 2022 is the year of joy and we're going to spread joy on this podcast. So we're going to instead say, who is our favorite graduate from Harvard university ever? Mine is Tim Plain. That's easy. Present company excluded. He's a graduate as well. Oh, there we go. Jeff Rocky, you can't name anyone you actually know. There you go. By the way, I love these you two Harvard pukes making this a fun game. My invitation to cynicism is who gives a shit 
Uh, who the best Harvard graduate? I'm a grad let's, school let's guy. Let's play. Let's play. Who's the best graduate from Slippery Rock University? Let's do that instead. <laughs> Name one. I can't. That's why. First I'm... of all, Timmy, you didn't have to go there, man. You could have just okay. let it slide. I have. I have two. <laughs> I have two from Harvard that I think are appropriate to the uh, to the podcast. Tom Morello. That's mine. Oh, oh I'm sorry. No, that's perfect. Tom Morello. Tom Morello, guitarist from Rage Against the Machine. And uh, Bonnie Raitt. Oh, no kidding. Bonnie Raitt, a, I think 71 or 73 graduate of Radcliffe. That is but so I think, cool. I think they had merged at that point so that, that since she would actually have a Harvard uh, University diploma. You don't know that Bonnie Raitt has already appeared on this podcast as my secret, uh, not so secret, uh, musical crush. Yeah, major so, crush. Thrilled to hear Bonnie Raitt's name again. I listened to that. I listened. To, I, I, I heard the Angel from Montgomery episode. Oh, you did? Yeah. Huh. Look at we got fans. Um, so Jeff Simons, you should say Ralph Waldo Emerson. Okay, I will. No, he was kind of a dick, really, as a human being. There's <laughs> that part in Self-Reliance where he's like, infancy conforms to no one, all conforms to this. Lo, yeah. I hear it in the next room. Like he actually writes into his most famous essay, like, my fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> they won't shut up. I got a 19-year-old with COVID. He wants iced coffee. Uh, ben Barton, you're not playing. Oh, I will be happy to play, my friend. Oh, I'm going go. to choose Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Who was denied, denied a Harvard degree because she had the unmitigated gall to want to finish up third year at Columbia. And despite having the number one GPA at Harvard Law School and being elected editor-in-chief for the Harvard Law Review, they denied her that. And so she's a Columbia grad. So I'll just leave it there. Wow. That's lame. They should revisit that. It's a little late. <laughs> They're bad people. Um, all right. I'm going to skip that. That's too depressing. All right. Uh, all right. Let's just get to uh, death because that's not depressing. Um, here's what we're going to do. I am going to give you clues and you're going to tell me who is it that died in 1996. And Jeff Radke, just so you know, this is a Jeff only area. <laughs> you two are going to get these and I get nothing. It's amazing. Timmy will, really be, Timmy will literally be like, your grandfather, Ben. John Horn Vanderwall. And I'll be like, I don't know. And I Jeff will nothing. have to get it for me. All right. Here are the clues. Oh, man. Comedian. Cigar. George Burns. George Burns is correct. He dies in 96. Astronomer. Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is nice. correct. I mean, I, I only know one astronomer. <laughs> I only know one at a time. I was like, Stephen Hawking didn't die in 1970. <laughs> that was good. There's a new Jeff in town. Let's go. Last uh, one. Uh-oh. Singer. Ukulele. Tiny Tim. Oh, that's a tie. I'm gonna give it to the I'm gonna give it to the guest. Oh, that's sweet. Nice job. Nice well, well done, sir. Tiny Tim is correct. Let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. Which tonight is our four albums. Jeff Rodkey, what was your favorite album from 1996? Okay, I I was thinking about this, I, I, and, and, and I actually, and part of this, I think, is, is, is because I grew up in the Midwest, 
and had uh, no access to a good radio station, except on a complete, very clear nights, we could tune in Madison's uh, FM radio station. Um, and, and the only music you could get, you'd have to go to Sears and like look through the, the racks and figure out what you're gonna spend your seven bucks on. Um, so I've never actually, my favorite albums were never released in the year that I listened to them. And my favorite album from 1996 is Tools and Nema, which I started listening to somewhere around 2011. Uh, but it's, and, and the reason I, 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 have a, I have a friend who's a huge music fan um, and is not really a metal guy at all, but he was a huge Tool fan. And they came, they came through uh, at, at, around 2011. And he's like, you have to go see this band with me. And I was like, ah, okay. And, and I listened and he's like, before you do it, you should listen to the albums. And one of the albums he sent me was, he, he told me to listen to was in Nima. And I started listening to it and I'm like, I don't know, like the songs are like eight minutes long. Like it's really, and then I saw them live. And within two weeks, I owned every single Tool album. And I was like, why are these eight minute songs not 11 minutes long? That's awesome. This is fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Because they're one of those bands that it's like, the, you know, it's four guys. It's always been the same four guys. Actually, no, I think maybe the EP, they replaced the bassist um, early on. But like it, everybody's bringing something to the table. They're all like really, really good musicians. You know, and it's a little proggy and they do get a little, you know, the heads up their own butts on, you know, eight minutes long. But like, it's just, uh, if you like heavy music, it's like real. it's just really, really good. And Anima uh, is probably the, uh, I think the best of their albums. What do you want me to give me? What should I clip? What should I uh, tease people with? Oh, uh, I think 46 and two, probably. Anima by Tool. Ben Barton, you've seen them live at Bonnaroo? I feel like I've seen them twice. How yeah, are they're they fantastic. Are they they're great. Yeah. I mean, in uh, Jeff Rodkin, we agree this is math rock, basically. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, something... it's like seven, four time. And yeah. There's something so structural about the way they build these. And it's a great, great, great selection. Um, and as Jeff would say, this is uh, Jeff Simons. If you didn't like that, you hate Tool. <laughs> Yes. but if yes. you like that then you that's might cool. like to yeah that's perfect that's, introduction that's what it all sounds like um and did you hear how like it starts with a cool bass line and the guitar comes in 
and it's yeah. like weird it's like as if the guitar is playing on a different song it's not coming in like right on top of the bass it's coming in as an opposition to it and the singing comes in as a third thing and the drums don't come in like boom pat boom pat they come in like shh, like a little shimmer and then splashing around like just fantastic and then the, and then the drums eventually will play exactly that like like it's really uh that was a great tool introduction they're very um I guess like math rock beats Pink Floyd though. I mean, like part of the charm for me is that they take their time and like, I don't really love the math rock bands that like are three and a half minutes in a giant cloud of dust and, and uh, everything is really frenetic. Um, I like the tool, like there's these expansive kind of quiet moments and they earn those kind of big explosions of sound and an amazing live band, good God. I mean, the, the show itself, like that's the, the I couldn't believe how technically spectacular the show was at Bonnaroo. Like, you know, it's hard to, that was one of the first times I was at a Bonnaroo show where I'm like, the, the show is part of what's making this incredible. Like the staging of it was just, just amazing. Well, and it only yeah, got and better I, and the I second think time I saw the, him. The, the guitarist, Adam Jones, I think went to art school and like, it must've been like a really good art school. <laughs> it's, it's the, the yeah the stage the stage productions they put out are like really like you know they they make me wish i was i still did hallucinogens <laughs> fantastic so you guys we've been doing 80 80 episodes i think we've had together i've never heard the term math rock what does math rock mean benny go for it no you can do it i mean basically yeah. it's like um like there's a lot of theory in it. And as Jeff Rodkey said, like they do things in seven, four, they do weird key signatures. They're like in Mixolydian mode instead of in regular modes. Like they're just like clashing, but it's not like, um, it's not like free jazz. It's like on purpose. Like they're very, very, very carefully constructing. It's like architectural almost the way they put it together. And I like what Jeff said, this, he's right. This is a genre that I don't care for. And basically this is a genre that kind of sucks. But this is the best band in that genre. And they're so good that, it, you know what I mean? Like, this, this is one of the things I've learned about loving music and just generally loving art is there are whole genres of art that you don't like. But the very best thing in that genre may, in fact, be pretty good. And this yeah. is a perfect example of that. You know, yeah, the other band, yeah, I would say the only other band like this in this genre, and it's a younger band, is uh, the second version of King Crimson with Adrian Ballou and Robert Fripp. But here's a... They're, oh, you're bringing it back, man, because I, I do not care for ding. that at all. But here's Frame by Frame, which is a classic rap, math rock song. You'll hear you'll hear the what we're talking about, and you'll even hear some of like... Change it becomes even more mathematical in a second. Like there's all these descending things that are kind of working off each other. But wow. in 15 minutes, it's really going to take flight. Oh, stop! <laughs> That's the sound. You know, I love it. That's their single. That was the single. <laughs> From King Crimson for that reason. That's great. Yeah, and see, and that's a, like a, I don't like that genre of music in general. I just I love Tool. I yeah. but I don't. I've tried King Crimson. It just didn't work for me. 
Oh, that's really interesting. All right. I don't even, I'm not even that big a Rush fan. I'm just, it's not, you know. Oh, see, I'm a Rush fan. Oh, that makes sense. So Rush is in this category. I know. Even how they release albums is mathematical, right? Like every two years, boom. Yeah, Rush is like, you could set your watch to the Rush catalog. It's hilarious. Um, all right, who's next? I can't remember. Ben's next. I went first last time. Let's go, Ben. Josh Davis. Oh, here we go. He's he on it Coincidentally, tonight. goes to UC Davis. He's a DJ on the radio station there. But rather than just playing albums, he just plays snippets of albums on top of it. At the Davis radio station, they've got two different turntables. So you can go back and forth. And instead of playing a regular set, he's just going back and forth between them. He's a regular at Rare Records in Sacramento. And if you've been to Davis, you know Davis is a suburb of Sacramento. And his first album, Introducing, has got an amazing picture of him and a rapper and another guy digging through the used albums at Rare Records in Sacramento. And as uh, just huge fans of independent record stores and used record stores, Producing. Jeff and I recognize that picture. I had to find it on YouTube. It's not on uh, Spotify because of all the um, samples. Oh, no, it is. I listened to it today. Oh, it didn't come up in my so, um, for a second turn. So he's, he's, he's like, it does this. He's putting out music under this weird, like, indie California label. Does not make it at all in the U.S. He gets picked up by Mowax in the U.K. And they release four singles. And eventually they introduce the, the, the original record, Introducing. And this is insane. Two, not one, two cuts from this very strange instrumental jazz record, basically, become top 40 hits in England. Did you know that, Jeff? I did know that. Yeah. What is going on in that little island? Like, how is that even possible? Wait, who are we even talking about? DJ Shadows Introducing comes out in 1996. It's It's a masterwork of sampling over four years from 92 to 96. So basically, we talked a little bit about sampling. Um, you go back to the very original version of it. You go back to Rapper's Delight, where um, they just take a sample from a chic song and match the whole song, right? Then you get to Paul's Boutique and the Dust Brothers, and they're doing like these sound collages where they're bringing things together. Um, and you get Public Enemy also, but where it's Public Enemy so like the samples are so packed together and dense, you almost can't recognize them. And then you go in two different directions by the time you get to the mid-90s. We're, I guess, a year or two away from um, Biggie Smalls dying and then the really, really, really hideous Every Breath You Take cover coming out, where it's not a sample. It's just like, he's just like, Sting, show up, sing it, and I'm going to have another number one hit on the back of the same exact (laughs) song. And part of this is because now they're starting to charge for samples. So like there's, there's a bunch of lawsuits and De La Soul's Three Feet and Rising. Like you can't listen to that album anymore because there were so many lawsuits over the samples on it. So one version of it is like, you're like, look, if we're going to have to pay for each of these samples, why would we sample more than one thing? Let's just put out Every Breath You Take with me rapping over it. Done. <laughs> there's another version of it here that happens where DJ Shadow's like, I'm just going to sample... Like, I, I don't know, Jeff, if you've gone to this, if you go to, there's a, there's a webpage that has every sample that's on this record. And I mean, there's literally nothing that you would recognize at all. There's not right. a single popular piece of music on this album. The only sample you would recognize is the original version of the single Stem has got a long rambling monologue from the movie Heat, which yeah. I can't 
oversell. Like, if you like the movie Heat, you will freaking lose your mind at the song Stem with them mumbling on it, where they've got the De Niro being like, I will drop everything and I will leave with like a weird jazz background. <laughs> so great. Anyhow, he puts out this hour long album and it's an instrumental album. It's very strange. Um, it's, uh, he's got this uh, Akai MPC 60 sampler where he's taking samples and looping them. And it's all songs nobody's heard of. It's like a, a complete sample of weird jazz records. All of the drum beats, they were like, where did you come up with these? Really, like, it's a really, really, really fantastic drum record. And he's like, oh yeah, um, high school bands would release like print 50 copies 500 copies of their greatest hits of that year and each one of them has a drum solo on it and that's what i used the entire <laughs> record is just high school that's drums awesome. and they're fantastic yeah they're so good um and then weird <laughs> instrumental stuff on top of it it's the beginning of what they call trip hop and it's really funny my original experience of it was i was like oh this is this is an album to listen to when you're high because it's an album where nothing happens and everything happens. Like it's like a really rich, dense album. But on this, at the same time, there's these five minute songs of just looping piano parts yeah. where it seems like nothing's happening with mumbling over it. Um, I actually re-listened to it today in the gym and we've had this discussion before. In the gym, I can't be bored at all. I actually found it a weirdly riveting re-listen even as I was working out, like it's an amazing, amazing work of art. Jeff already guessed. Oh God. Yeah. Four singles from this album, but my favorite song. Give it. Yeah. Here it comes. Introducing by DJ shadow. Producing. listening to records I just knew what to do I mainly taught myself and you know I did pretty well except there were a few mistakes but uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up you know I'd like to just continue to be able to express myself as best as I can in this and I feel like I have a lot of work to do still you know I'm a student and I'm also a teacher of the drums, too. <laughs> piano was from a, a jazz pianist named jeremy storch that mumbling drummer guy is a guy named george marsh and this is from an actual pressed 33 rpm lp called like george marsh teaches the drums where he's <laughs> just like mumbling to himself that's it's amazing cool. at the end of the song it's a six minute song at the end they come back to just the piano part and they bring back the weird mumbling drummer guy and he's like I don't create the music. The music comes through me, through me, through me, through. And then there's just like, he's like just mixing it back and forth. It's fantastic. Here's one other thing I would note. 
um, there's an amazing, amazing Oxford UK show from this tour. Yes. You can find it on YouTube. Here's what's spectacular about this on top of just sort of the technical achievement of it. It's a little bit like the way a sonnet has rules. Doing a live show with four turntables where it's just you and it's only samples from these turntables is like a technical feat that makes it so challenging to create this. Like in, uh, there's a chance that I'm going to choose a DJ Girl Talk record later. He does it all by computer. Like that's really, really easy. Like the actual physical act of laying these records on top of each other. And then the drum track is not the same as the piano track is not the same as the bass track is not the same as the mumbling. And you have to get all of them at the same speed on top of each other. Like it's just incredible. Um, and actually basically this is the same thing. If you didn't like that, you're gonna hate the record. It's, a, it's an hour long record where there's no lyrics there's some mumbling <laughs> and then it's mostly just looping oh, drumming and, and jazz sounds. But I can't describe to you what a powerful work of art it is, how much I love this record. This is a record super similar to in a silent way that just really, mm. really bears repeated listenings. Like there's just so much richness to it. And I'm a, I'm a 52 year old white guy with children. So it's, I'm beyond this point in my life, but you can spend a lot of time high listening to it. That will also work out. <laughs> I love this record. It's a great choice. One of the best nights of my life was I went to the DNA Lounge and got to watch DJ Shadow Battle Cut Chemist, who is another one of these kind of uh, sampler turntable spin guys. And the, the rule was they were allowed to bring two milk crates full of 45s, and then they each got 30 seconds to spin off of one another. So they were trying to build this constant groove by scratch but i mean they were scratching in like you know chicken restaurant commercials and like oh i mean it, like just like ben said yeah. it's just complete and they've made a couple records together you can find it on youtube something called product placement part one to two which is just 60 minutes of dj shadow and cut chemist scratching weird records at one another but doing it in a way so that there's a consistent groove right. and, and performance happening um I, yeah, I just, I, I just, this one of those moments where the marriage of art technology and taking something old and pushing it through something new and creating something both familiar and totally unfamiliar at the same time. That's what haunts me about this record is you feel like you've heard it all before, but never in these, in with these, the ingredients put together in this way. Uh, and it's great. He's right. It's a slam dunk pick. No clue. Jeff Rodkey opinions i i really i mean this is in keeping with what i was saying about i i never listened to the albums in the year they're released i loved this album when i discovered it in 2006 <laughs> yeah. and i don't know what it yeah. was that that got me there 10 years after it came out but i yeah i really i really enjoyed it but i came i came very late to that party cool yeah i was lucky you know he's a bay area guy so like I heard people talking about it right when it came out or it might've gone past me as well, but uh, yeah, it, it had a, it had a profound effect on me when I, when I got to it in 2022, I'm really, I didn't push this really, on you in any of those summers at really, uh, no, you never did, Red Love. Right? I probably knew that was a dead end, but I, I was, mean, I mean, our first summer when we were living in, in, uh, in New Mexico, yeah. this record was on heavy repeat. Really? I, wrote, I wrote two of my papers to this record, I think, that summer. Yeah. 
you were playing that um uh, what's that joe joe henry a lot Is yeah that yeah the piano guy yeah yeah that was good stuff i don't remember this okay all right jeff simons well that's why this show is so fun because my pick is so different from dj shadow all right um, but i think equally compelling so one of the tricky things about being a recording artist is you spend years writing and you spend years performing and you figure out who you are and then you get signed and you get turned over to somebody in the business and they have a whole idea of what you're going to be as well. And sometimes that marriage is spectacular. You get an artist and a producer and it's peanut butter and chocolate and you get a Reese's peanut butter cup. And sometimes you get an artist and a producer and they make hash and that's it for the artist. You know, there are, there are tons of, of really promising performers who get ruined by the, the major label debut and the inability to marry art and commerce. And this is almost that story. You have a, a really promising, exciting, young female singer-songwriter who's got a series of great songs that she's demoed in her kitchen and at a friend's house. And she gets a major label deal and uh, they, the label's like, well, who should we give a young female artist to Uh-oh. in 1996 to, you know, who, who's somebody who's got a track record of taking a hot young female artist and making a big star out of him? Ben, would you like to guess who they gave Patty Griffin to to make her first record? No, just help me out. I can't wait to hear. Niall Rogers. Oh, needless to say. They take Patty Griffin. Who's Niall Rogers? Niall Rogers. He's also he's the David Bowie producer for Let's Dance. He's great. Oh, okay. He's fantastic. He's the guitar player in Chic. And he's, he's also, wrote, he's the Madonna oh, producer. Sure. Okay. So can you imagine? He, Patty Griffin comes in, he's like, we need, a, we need a little polishing up on yeah. some of this material. We got dance. I actually <laughs> looked up an interview with her on the 25th anniversary of this record, and she was like, I love Nile Rogers. I deeply respect him, and I hope to God those tapes never leak. I mean, it's just like wow. oil and water. So it's a complete disaster. Now, remember, like, you're a kid, and they gave you an advance, Right. And she spends the advance. She gets out of debt. She buys her professional instrument. Like she gets ready to go on the road. Like, and then the whole thing is a dog's breakfast. So like, okay, okay, okay. We'll start over. And they hire again and Malcolm Byrne, Canadian producer, famous for Ben being one of the guitar players on, on Oh Mercy. He's one of Lanois guys. Nice. Oh, that's a so, great call. So Byrne takes her to New Orleans and gets basically the O'Mercy band. At this point, Byrne has produced uh, Human Wheels for John Mellencamp. Ooh, He's great done record. Yellow Moon for the Neville Brothers. He's done um, Living with the Law for Chris Whitley. It doesn't work at all. It's slick. It's flat. None oh. of that. None of it is uh, is happening. And AM Records is like this is just not working. <laughs> and now Patty Griffin has spent all her advance. Oh. She's got a record contract and a label where she's gone 0 for 2 trying to make it. And here's where the story has an incredibly happy ending. Right? I know personally a half dozen people who made a major label record, turned it in, and the major label's like, eh, we'll pass. But we own your songs and we own your publishing. Could you send this piece of paper? So we're just going to put it here on the shelf and uh, we'll use it as a tax write-off. And why don't you go right... Spend a lifetime writing 10 more good songs and maybe you can make another one in 20 years. 
instead of that big story, somebody at m and was like, you know, these demos are pretty good. Why don't we just put out the demo? Seriously? And so Patty Griffin's solo record are the home demos that she made of her 10 best songs. It's called Living With Ghosts. And it is voice and guitar. There is only one song with an overdub on it. And it could not be more stripped down. And because Patty Griffin is Patty Griffin, she has gone on to a lifetime, totally successful career in music. The wow. first time I heard Patty Griffin was as the opening act for Sheryl Crow. And it was in 1996. Crow was at the height of her career. She put out a few small repairs. And Patty Griffin was the little singer-songwriter doing 25 minutes just to ease up the audience. And Patty Griffin, at least, she is not a tall person. Like her acoustic guitar looked like a stand-up bass in her hands. And this tiny little person steps out on stage and she starts the song I'm gonna play for you. And she's, and I'm like, that's a pretty cool little guitar. And because of where I was sitting, her guitar had all these mother of pearl inlays and they're catching the spotlight and they're just, they're hitting my eyes. And so there's all this kind of like, bright flashing and I can only half see her. And, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm kind of paying attention, but not really. And she opens her mouth. She sings the first line. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest voices I've ever heard in person. And she brings down the house. I mean, she gets a standing ovation at the end of it. Um, this is still my favorite Patty Griffin record. I don't mind that she tried a bunch of other styles. Her next record right. is, is a hard rock record and I like it. But again, she makes a record in 2001. They get shelved for 17 years because it isn't quite right. They finally just re-released that. And that's a great lost record. But there really is something incredibly special about this record from 1996. And this is my favorite song by some distance. It's called Every Little Bit. Living with Ghosts by Patty Griffin. It's funny how a morning turns a Good stuff. Ben Barn, what'd you think? Oh yeah, man. This record's fantastic. And in particular, like the, the, the difference between the verse guitar part, which is so complicated and interesting and like, they're both interesting, but I mean, like yeah. she's got this real like filigree at the beginning and then the chorus comes in just big bang, just bang, huge chords, then right back into it. Oh, fantastic. And, and Jeff hit it. I mean, her voice is like, whew. Woo. 
Mm. She did that. Now, you know, I mean, it was a really cool old um, venue in Santa Rosa, California. It was really resonant. And I mean, she did that. Now, you know, now, you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, I got to tell you, yes. like there's two yes, thousand people there and, and we all were like, oh, and like everybody just <laughs> sat down and paid instant attention. Oh, and I should have said, this is an Indian King Cannon favorite. She's oh, nice. See, there uh, we go. finally hit the sweet spot. It only took a year and a half, and I took a good record. <laughs> took good. a long time. Well, I will finish things up. We have been on for a long time. Jeff Rodkey, you've been a great guest to, to hang with us for this hour. Uh, truly, truly feel like the feel like the the missing uh, missing fourth the part edge, of the little yeah. the little square. I'm I'm happy to come back for for ninety seven. Uh, little edge we need. <laughs> Well, I got it. In '97, we do Ronnie James Tio's solo career. <laughs> oh God, that's you know, yeah, there's one good album in that solo career. There is. Wow. Okay. He is. He is adorable Three. though. He is a, a an hysterical rock star. You know, like oh, he, he was great because he was five like one. Like five tall. one and a half. Yeah, or something like that. And and he also like the he, his lyrics were, um, you know, I was a screenwriter for a period of time, and I really wanted to do an Ozzy biopic partly uh -huh. because I just, I wanted to get to the point where they replace him with Ronnie Dio. And, and, and there's a scene where they're like writing songs together because the thing about every Ronnie James Dio song is it relies on simple juxtaposition. So it's like <laughs> when up is down and left is right and dogs are cats and men are women. And, and, was, and I just, I wanted, I wanted to see that moment of like, of Ronnie Dio writing heaven and hell, which is, just yeah. that kind of thing. Perfect. I want to see what Ozzy's voice looks like in your screenplay. Like when Ozzy talks now, it sounds to me like a car warming up. Like there's like the first 37 characters like, oh, yeah, and it was a different time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I how, yeah, he's I mean, writing he was that kind of, out. You know? He was like that even like, you know, 20 years ago, but yeah. he's really like, I think he's oh, I probably had some neurological. Don't you think? He sounds like maybe yeah. Parkinson's or something. Yeah. 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 By the way, um, Ozzy has a gigantic hit this year. Does anyone know what it is? No. Post Malone. That's right. right. That's right. Ozzy My kid was Malone. playing that in the car last week. I was like, second week in a this? row, we've had a I Post Malone say. reference on this. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Different, two Post different Malone. songs. Two yes, two. take what you want has got Ozzy Osbourne and Post Malone. And uh, my daughter, George, just got a listen list. And so we just, I just loaded up and we, we listened to it while we're doing yoga. And so a Post Malone song comes on and I'm like, whatever. And all of a sudden there's this mumbling Ozzy and I'm like, wait, hold the phone. And it is, it's Ozzy Osbourne. Don't you feel like Post Malone is looking into the future when he duets with Ozzy Osbourne? Like if Post Malone's not careful, like, wow. He'll be oh, shuffling, yeah, around, shuffling around his kitchen asking oh, his dude, wife where the orange juice is. If Post Malone you know? ever puts out anything as good as Crazy Train or Paranoid, well, that's he's true. going to be having accomplished something in his life. All right, Timmy, do it. All right, let's do it. I uh, I moved to Vegas in 96 and begin my teaching career in earnest in the uh, Las Vegas public school system. My wandering days were just beginning, but Belle and S Sebastian's wandering days were over with Tiger Milk. Best album of 1996. Go. I'm having a little trouble finding it. Hold on. Jimmy, you're making me super happy, man. You're making me so happy. I've got some really good news for you. Oh, I'm so excited. My wandering days are over. Tiger Milk.
by Bell and Sebastian. tired of fixing things for Michael and the rest of them. That's Michael. It's just bullshit. All the time I'm fixing shit for him. No more. Ben Barton. Don't you love Jimmy, me? I've got some bad news for you, what? my friend. This isn't even the best Bell and Sebastian record of 1996. I agree. If, if you're feeling sinister comes out of this freaking year, have you lost your mind? Tiger milk. There's two good Bell and Sebastian records. If you're feeling sinister and the boy of the air of strap, yeah. you've managed to choose a bad Bell and Sebastian record from the same year. Yeah, what? I got, I got, I got it. I Here's love the, the first song. I love this song. Dude, first of all, if you're feeling sinister has the stars of track and field and like Dylan in the movies on it. Like, oh, people, I like that song. That's good listeners. Good. But that if wasn't you in think 96. you might like that is, it came out in 96. If you're feeling sinister, it came out in 96. Uh, I just looked it up because I was like, wait, I feel like there's a better record. What's the better Bella? What's that Bella Sebastian record I do like? I was like, oh yeah. Well, Jeff, where are they from? I don't even know. They're from Glasgow. the UK. Yeah, Glasgow. I, I'm loving oh. hate with these guys. When I like them, I like them a lot, but they are so twee that there's a lot of their stuff that I'm like, I hate hate this that's the clever fact, stuff in I fact love. in fact like i i when there's a bell and sebastian song i really like i'm like huh like i'm surprised by my enjoyment <laughs> and i'll admit like, I'm, supposed, I'm supposed to really like these guys they were hipster and they and they're on everybody's top 10 list of that year uh-huh. um but like that song when he's like i hope i'm not boring i'm like i have bad news for you i'm <laughs> i'm pretty bored i'm pretty bored already we're 27 seconds in but but I get it's not a, it's not a terrible pick by any means, <laughs> not a terrible. But I do prefer that other record that Ben is talking about. And I mean, Dylan in the movies is like I think my favorite song by them. Like it's really good. That's a good. Oh one. yeah. So Jeff Rodkey, what is the relationship between heavy metal and Bell and Sebastian? What's the connective tissue? <laughs> there is uh, there's no overlap. No, no, there's, they have guitar, bass, and drums. There's. I'm, Actually, you know what? You know what? I feel like the connected, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon somehow goes through the Vaseline's. <laughs> you know, because if yeah. you go from if you go from Bell and Sebastian, you can kind of get to the Vaseline's. You go from Vaseline's to Nirvana. Okay. Who covered a lot of Vaseline songs, and then you get to Nirvana, and you and you're just one step to off to the races. There That's we go. Good. I was thinking that the relationship is that when the Bell and Sebastian guys walk past the metal kids in front of the school to actually attend the AP classes and the metal kids like trip them and call them pussies, that's the relationship between 
especially that second Sabbath iteration. And I will say, like, if you're like, if you take the album cover of If You're Feeling Sinister and you flip it over, does it say, don't listen to Bell and Sebastian? (laughs) 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 Because there's a lot of words I would use to associate with the the Bell and Sebastian sound, and sinister Sinister is not one. I also thought the album cover of Tiger Milk would have been too much for young Tim to process with the woman breastfeeding the tiger. I thought thought that would have been a little salacious for you. Well, there was something wholesome about it as well. Oh, okay. Did you, if you, I don't know if you've checked out Tools in Nima yet, but when you get to the song Hooker with a Penis, call me and I'll walk you through it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gentlemen. There's a great line in Hooker with a Penis because <laughs> Hooker with a Penis is basically, uh, it, it's, it's Maynard James Keenan, who's the lead singer of Tool, shitting on his fans. And he, in the first verse, he tells a story and he's like, I met this kid in a dope Beasties tea. Uh, uh, 501s, new tattoos, you know, something like, and, uh-huh. and he's describing this guy, but when I saw them live, he said, uh, I, I met this kid in a dope Slipknot shirt because uh-huh. it was 2011. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's and the hilarious. Beasties tea was no longer was Yeah, no that, longer had, that had come back around, yeah. <laughs> All um, right, well, you guys, I got school tomorrow. We're opening things back up. For at least an hour. And we're then you'll gonna, get your test results and then we'll see what happens. We're going to go for it. Uh, it is 2022 and uh, time to get back to work. Thanks so much, Jeff Rodkey, for coming yeah, on thanks, tonight. Man. That was super Thank fun. Thank you, Jeff. Amazing. Well done. Thanks. Well yeah. done. Thanks for having me. This was, yeah. this was fantastic. It was tons of fun. All right. See you next week. All right, Andy, another triumph, my friend. Good job. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Yeah. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.